Because I think we can only see our blind spots when we're with people who have different um, different vision to what we do. Um, I might not recognize how a space might be excluding certain people until I speak to the people that are excluded. Hello and welcome to the Together Podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Chris and today I'm joined by Kat. How are you doing? I'm great, Chris. Thanks. Also, you're enjoying, you're enjoying the heat at the moment. I am. I am. I actually went, went and had my breakfast this morning outside and already got a tan. We love that. We love that. I mean, mother's son has come to bless us while we're all stuck indoors. Uh, love so. life. <laughs> but yeah, we can make the most of it if you've got a garden. I don't have a garden, so it's kind of yeah. a bit peak. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you're getting on really. I'm I'm really sorry for you, mate. Well this is the thing, like I wonder like what's the best situation because downstairs, like when you come to my flat, like you I think you you've seen it once before. Mm. Like there's someone like has the downstairs bit and it's like it's like they've got a patio door outside yeah. she started the, the girl that lives there she started like putting all her plants like she started doing gardening and putting plants outside and stuff which is like big bonus but then the negative is like do you really want people just like walking past your window every single day of your life mm. just looking at you that's a bit weird it's not something that i would enjoy no because that's that's the thing like it's still a communal space isn't it so like people coming through all the time Exactly, and then people also, there's also like a little bench out there and people smoke there, so it's like, you can't mm. even really leave your window open because then it's going to get in your house. Oh, it's a big, big kerfuffle. But anyway, today we're <laughs> hearing from Tandy Gimedze, an activist, academic and spoken word artist from South Africa. We spoke about how communities in and outside of the church can work together to create a more just world. But first, as always, it's time for Cat's Questions. Yes, Chris. And this is actually my favourite part of the podcast. Um, (laughs) Even though the interviews are amazing and I'm really excited for this one. Um, So I was thinking the other day, um, obviously it's kind of probably a bit less appropriate now because the weather is getting warmer. But when you um, put your jeans on, do you put your socks on before you put your jeans on? Or do you put your socks up after you put your jeans on? It's got to be before. Like, especially like, <laughs> no, but depending on the cut of the jeans, like if you've got like, if there's quite a tight fit around the ankle, then it's weird doing it after. You have to prop, like stuff your socks back up your jeans. Yeah, I genuinely feel heartbroken when I've forgotten <laughs> to put my socks on <laughs> before I put my <laughs> jeans. Honestly, especially like since in lockdown, I feel like there's been a couple of times where I just think, oh, I just won't put socks yeah. on. But then I have to go out later yeah. and put my shoes on. And then I'm like, oh, just it's just that sad moment <laughs> when you realise that you've put your jeans on. And you now need to put your socks on and you will never get that perfect, like, I don't know. It just feels so it different does. when you just... It's yeah, just, you feel like uh, it's kind of like just awkwardly... It's like your sock, It's not like fully on your foot properly. It feels like it's just no. awkwardly kind of hanging. But are you just... So are you wearing jeans just generally? I have, I have been wearing jeans quite a lot, actually, because I feel like... Actually, my friend made a good point the other day. She's like... <laughs> 
she was on furlough for a little while, but then she went she went back to work and she was like, I just had to put jeans on before starting work because otherwise I can't concentrate. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> She's like, I have to feel like I'm a bit more put together. Yeah. Well, I remember Dan said that. Like That was one of his, his tips. We still miss mm. you, Dan. Now you're listening, listening somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he had the whole jeans thing. But I don't know. I don't really, it's not something I really like to subscribe to myself. I wore jeans for the first time. Uh, was it last weekend? And mm. I felt strange. I didn't know who I was anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is, Chris, if you stop wearing jeans completely, I fear that when I go back to it, I'm like, I can't fit them. I have to make sure that I'm still, like, <laughs> keeping to the same size before I have to, like, go and find new jeans when we come out of here. No, it's a, it's a serious concern, like... This is the thing, everyone's, I don't know, I mean, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I reckon everyone's got in the back of their head, they're like, you know, what do I look like in society anymore? <laughs> I don't know. Such what like a weird like? filtered version of events now. But anyway, it's too hot. It's, it's shorts time now. It is surely. too hot. Yeah, it is definitely. Shorts and a skirt, if you like. Or a kilt, maybe. Yeah. Shout out to our Scottish uh, gang. F- fair enough. Laura, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> Alright, that wraps up another <laughs> great edition of Cat's Questions. If you're listening at home and want to submit your own question, head to at We Are Tearful on Instagram and leave us a message. We'll get onto the show, we'll give you a big shout out, and yeah, you'll take part in some would argue the most important part of the podcast. <laughs> some, some would argue. I, I need your point. help, guys. I'm running out. <laughs> right, now it's time to check out the interview with Tandy. Tandi Gamedze. Um, I am living in Cape Town, South Africa and working there as well. I work part-time at an organization called the Warehouse Trust um, and basically what our organization does is we work with churches and walk with church leaders and try to engage and assist people in engaging with issues of injustice um, mm. within their spaces and their communities whatever this looks like, and recognizing that oftentimes um, some of our theology is actually what is perpetuating these injustices Mm. or at the very least kind of holding us back from doing anything about this. So a lot of our work is also trying to really invite people into wrestling with theological ideas and, yeah, create a different narrative which is addressing ideas of injustice within the story of the gospel awesome that sounds like a huge job um, yeah i i watched your let justice roll a uh, spoken word piece mm. i was blown away by it uh-huh. um it was very powerful and you know even down to like the the visual of it the drums you mm. know it was very like very strong i would say it had like almost got like a prophetic tone to it is mm. that something that you envisioned when you wrote it or when you were delivering it? Yeah, so I mean that poem, so it actually came out of a whole process where we were thinking about the Justice Conference in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And this was in 2018, I think. And our topic or kind of theme was also the theme of let justice roll. So for probably like six months or so before that, 
a whole group of us, like definitely the warehouse community, but also um, different partners who were involved in the Justice Conference kind of went on this very deep journey engaging with mm. the Book of Amos and kind of the story of that place and what was going on at the time. Um, so it was, the poem, I guess, was kind of birthed out of a very deep immersion into that book. Yeah, And it was also... I think it, it was a very communal process. So even though I wrote the poem, it feels like it was it was a very collaborative kind of engagement which yeah. birthed that poem. And yeah, so I mean, the Book of Amos is an incredible book which doesn't get preached a lot, I think. But when you read that book, it's extremely eye-opening because mm. it almost, I think, living in Cape Town in South Africa and potentially most other places around the world, mm. it feels like a commentary on what's actually happening in the yeah. world today. Um, there's all kinds of injustices mentioned, people selling selling other people for sandals, yeah. um, and then this, this narrative of like um, taxes for wine and, and thinking about that in the um, context of Cape Town with like the, these wine farms which have long histories of... Um, injustices around labor mm. and there was like a also an alcohol payment system which has led to all kinds yeah. of messed up dynamics so yeah so I think engaging with that text allowed me to engage in a new way with our context today mm. um, and so the poem was kind of birthed out of this conversation between Amos's context and his words there and um, our context today um, and and what God might be saying to us today. So, yeah, I think it um, came out of a real, like, pressing into that. You talked about how it was a collaborative process. Mm. Obviously, that runs through the warehouse as well, the work you do For there. Sure. How important is that in the process of reaching justice to work in collaboration? Yeah, I mean, I think it is extremely key um, I think most people will have heard that saying, let's hope I don't butcher it, um, but if you want to go fast, go alone, but mm. if you want to go far, go together. Yeah. And so I think that's a real kind of core value and driving um, factor for us as the warehouse. Um, and even as we were doing the Justice Conference, there was... Definitely, it was definitely a priority not just to put on this conference, but for it to be kind of this journey that we walk together. Mm. And I had a session today where I was talking about creativity and justice and spoke about kind of the process of making art also, that that process can actually embody the justice and it doesn't have to just be the product. Mm, and really so good. I think, I think, yeah, often we think about some things as just an end and we're just trying to get somewhere um, no matter what we have to do to get there and mm. I think sometimes we even think about justice in that way and of course it's we need to get there like mm. people are dying people are living in suffering and poverty because of the injustice that there is today mm. um, but I think if we I think if we don't consider justice in our way to getting there, mm. then we actually won't get to a place that we can all live justly in. Yeah. So I think it's 
I mean, you see in like different social movements, I think a lot of the time certain things are pushed to the side. So in the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, um, there was there was kind of kind of movements within within the anti-racist movement movements for gender equality and those kinds of things. And often those things kind of get pushed to the side within these movements. And we say, no, we're going to deal with that when Mm. we get to this point. And we so often see that that's not how it works. And so I think, I really think we need to be thinking about like the journey and the path and the methodology and thinking about how we, how we actually journey in a just way and how we make sure that the voices of the most marginalized are heard and are listened to along the journey. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because so often in these spaces we can end up reproducing these systems of injustice that we've been, I guess, socialized into and brainwashed into and because they just come become, I guess, part of our norms. So we have to be so careful of that and so aware of our blind spots and so careful to listen to other people in the process, I think. And you you spoke a bit about, you know, the intersectionality of different identities within working towards justice. For you yourself as a as a black South African woman, how has yeah. you experienced that? Yeah, I mean, wow, it's there's so many complexities, I think. Because um, yes, you have you have all of those, then you have kind of class issues as mm. well. Um I mean that yeah, so many different intersecting identities, I guess. So yeah, I've definitely I think I think I have I definitely have privilege in certain ways mm. and then I'm marginalized in other ways. Um and so I found those kinds of identities quite complicated to hold. Yeah. And kind of knowing and and I think because of being a black woman, you understand what it means to kind of be silenced and mm. to to silence yourself in certain spaces and to not feel like you have a voice. And so I think I've been on a journey kind of of finding my voice, I guess, and of being very intentional about speaking up in certain spaces yeah. and, and I guess combating those voices inside of me, telling me to be quiet in certain mm. spaces. Because I think, man, those things are so strong, like... Mm. When you're in a meeting surrounded by white men, it's very difficult yeah. to speak up and and often you're not given the space to do that. So I think it's really important, yeah, to take that where you can and then also to recognize your the power that you carry in other areas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's it's so complex. But I think that thing of having other people around and and being open to hearing what blind spots you might be carrying mm. and yeah being intentional about creating a community around you who is okay to be honest with each other yeah. um, and, and i guess well-rounded as well i mean obviously you yeah. can't no one's going around being like right i'll have one of those i'll have one of those yes. you, you look like you're a different class than me you look a different race yeah yeah you don't want to do that but yeah. <clears throat> there is something about you know the kingdom of god saying you know like Renee retouched at the Justice Conference, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, yeah. no Greek. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like this: let's get as many people into my world yes, as possible. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think we can only see our blind spots when 
we're with people who have different um mm. different vision to yeah. what we do um i might not recognize how a space might be excluding certain people until i speak to the people that are excluded mm. and and hear oh, oh wow actually this is going on and because of my privilege in a certain area i didn't even notice this yeah and that's like a difficult journey to go on anyway mm. but it's also can be even harder when it feels like systematically things are against you yeah and you wrote a paper about how the church is systematically kind of resistant to change ah, what yes, did you mean I did. what did you mean by that i don't i mean you wrote a whole, whole paper so i'm not trying to get you to do it in like two minutes but what no, can you touch on good what research um <laughs> yes yeah so i wrote this paper for um Micro Global Conference, and it was a little cheeky because I think because the conference was the theme of the conference was about resilience, um, and so I the paper was called "Dangerous Resilience: The Church, the Institutional Church, and Its Resistance to Change" or something. Mm. And basically, I was kind of trying to comment on this tendency that it feels like the church has to. Um, remain stuck in its ways mm. even when the world is going through all of these kinds of changes that actually need to be recognized and potentially absorbed into the church. So some of the things I was talking about in there were things about, so I think oftentimes with with leadership in the church and who, who kind of gets to speak and who doesn't within the church, um, often it follows very kind of structured patterns. Um, so often only people who have gone through certain types of theological training yeah. or gone through certain um, schools of thought are are actually able to get up and preach on a Sunday. Mm. And so it means that means that the voices that we're hearing are very particular voices and and there's certain voices that will never get to be there. Mm. And so I was kind of arguing that actually as the church, those voices that are being excluded from that space are actually the voices that we need to be listening to. Yeah. Um, and often these spaces of kind of theological formation that people have to go through before they get to those places. Um, brainwash might be a strong <laughs> word, but I <laughs> guess <laughs> brainwash people into certain ways of thinking. Mm. Um, and I think if we if we looked at the demographics and positionality of most of the theologians that are informing a lot of our churches and informing a lot of what's taught in seminaries and mm. other theological formation spaces, we wouldn't be surprised to find out that most of them are Western white men. Mm. And so I think their, vo their voices are necessary also, but as a collection of many other voices. Mm. Because I think often, often the theology that is taught in those kinds of institutions is positioned as neutral. Mm. Um, and I think neutrality is a lie. And mm. um, when we say that something is neutral, we actually fool ourselves. Because nothing is neutral. Everything comes from a context all theology is birthed out of a context um, and often it's positioned as this kind of acontextual truth yeah. that just came down from heaven. Um, so I think we need to 
I'll use the word decolonize our theology a little bit and mm. start to listen to people from different demographics who may have different experiences and different contexts who can actually give us a wider and bigger picture of who God is. Um, yeah. And I think we need to hold our theology with quite a lot of humility, actually, mm. um, because the Bible um, was written by people to certain context and in certain contexts. And I think when we're interpreting it, it has to be seen from that light and seen from that space. And then it's also interpreted from a certain context. Mm. So we have to be aware of what that's doing. And I think it's super dangerous when we're unaware of what our context, what our what our lenses are when we're actually reading the text and engaging with the text. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I guess that's a little bit of what the paper's about, kind of also talking about the setup of a lot of church spaces. So the way that it's kind of set up as in a kind of hierarchical way, mm. there's one person in the front speaking and everyone else is kind of facing the forward, facing forward, <laughs> listening to that person. And so even the, even the way the space is set up is, is kind of saying who gets to have a voice yeah, in that space yeah. and who doesn't, who should be listening and who can talk. And so I think there's things, there's some things that we could be rethinking mm. if we want to become a church that has something to say about what's happening in the world. Yeah, I mean, it speaks us. back what to what you were just saying earlier. You know, the means are just as important mm. as the end goal. So if you had a, yeah. if you had someone at the front saying we we need justice for everyone, but it's like, and you've all got to listen to me. Totally. It's like, doesn't yes. that not work? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You're also studying a postgraduate, right, in uh, public administration? Yeah, so I actually just finished that. I graduated oh, at the end of last year. Thank you. Awesome. And I recently have started a oh. PhD. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah. <laughs> You're in for the long <laughs> Don't know what I'm getting myself into, but yes, the next three years or so are laid out ahead yeah. of me. Well, why, why were you drawn to do that uh, postgraduate in the first place? So, interestingly enough, my undergraduate was in physiotherapy. So, oh, okay. I'm Completely actually a physiotherapist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I worked in that field for about three years. Um, and I worked in a couple of different public government hospitals in South Africa, in KwaZulu-Natal. And I think, so it was a really difficult space. I mean, I think in these public kind of, public service spaces mm. you are face to face with the kind of inequalities and injustices and really difficult spaces that I think in our country the majority of the people find themselves mm. in and so in yeah being in the public healthcare system I really saw that face to face mm. um like the difficulty that people would have getting to the hospital living living far away in rural areas mm. um that they would have to come to the hospital and wait for the entire day and potentially not even get to see the person that they needed to see, um, the amount of money yeah. that it was to get transport to to the hospital, um, the fact that they could only come like once every month. And mm. so that really impacted on how far their treatment could go or how, how much better they could actually get. So just like all of these kinds of systemic and institutional issues that were just acting to perpetuate these systems of injustice mm. and inequality. Um, and South Africa is 
the most unequal country in the world. Mm. So you see extreme poverty coexisting with obscene wealth, yeah. often within like 20 minute drive from each other. Mm. So it's it's quite a shock to the system in many ways. But yeah, to be faced with that as a healthcare practitioner um, and seeing patients on an individual level, but seeing all these structural issues and not really being able to do anything mm. about them. I think that is what kind of, I guess, led me on to the journey of wanting to do public administration mm. to try and think about how I could have a voice into those kinds of spaces mm. and to be to be thinking about these issues more st- systemically um, and thinking about kind of the policymaking and what goes into that. Yeah, so that's kind of the journey I took with that. And then, so with my master's, I actually focused a lot on education. Mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about education. I think it holds, it potentially holds a lot of yeah. um, possibility for changing things, even though it can also act to kind of replicate yeah. um, power <laughs> structures and the status quo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my PhD is, is in education, but actually focusing on um, theological spaces, so mm. church spaces and other spaces, and looking at the kinds of narratives that are produced in those in those spaces and thinking about the kinds of people that are being formed by those spaces yeah. and what potential they hold either to, I guess, uphold some of the unjust systems and challenge these unjust mm. systems because we see those two streams very clearly within the church um i think particularly within south africa's history with theology being used in very particular ways to uphold the apartheid regime mm-hmm. but also being used um in the liberation movements in really powerful ways so there's yeah. two these two kind of very conflicting streams and i'm i'm wanting to kind of see how those are operating yeah in different spaces today awesome what would your advice be to someone listening who perhaps has find finds himself in a similar position to you in the sense that completely aware of or maybe not completely but mm. like very aware of kind of these like structures at play that are keeping and reinforcing inequality reinforcing injustice and poverty but trying to find a way to either find a voice to be able to do something about it or find a community yeah. to to work with to do something yeah. about it? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I think the more I'm on this journey, the more I'm just so convinced that everyone has a different role to play and that, mm. um, that you can do stuff wherever you're placed. Like, so just because I kind of left physiotherapy behind I don't think that there's no space um to do this this stuff as a physiotherapist if that's kind of where you are positioned and that we we can do this stuff in whatever position we are because because unfortunately there is injustice happening in every position that we find ourselves Mm. um and so whether that's whether that's like disrupting patriarchy by as a woman speaking out in a meeting or confronting some kind of injustice that is happening in that space or whether as a man that is recognizing some of these dynamics mm-hmm. and saying actually we need we need more women in these these positions of power and mm-hmm. kind of advocating to do that advocating i guess for disability accessibility in different mm-hmm. buildings 
or or going into policy making and government and that kind of thing. So I think there is always opportunities to do this stuff. I think I think it starts by becoming aware of these systems and um, these structures and how they play out, and recognizing. I think holding being able to hold this tension between the individual and the systemic, mm-hmm. because. I think sometimes when we are too focused on the systemic, even though I I think that's I actually think that's the most essential because there's too much focus on the individual. Yeah. So we need to kind of swing it in the other way. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a possibility of of becoming very hopeless mm. because we find ourselves in these huge systems as an individual with limited um power. So hold this tension of these systems and the individuals and yeah, where we can challenge the systems and whatever that looks like, whether it's like protesting for better service delivery in your area or mm-hmm. supporting a community's protest or shifting the narrative on on what protest is about um, mm-hmm. and and where people are saying that these people are violent and yeah. whatever. I think I think challenging those narratives and and making people aware of these injustices. And also maybe at times it looks like helping an individual yeah. with paying for someone's school fees or um, helping someone buy textbooks or um, paying for someone's groceries. Yeah. yeah, so I think there's definitely an interplay and I think we I think we all have to hold that tension. Because I think without one of one or the other, something is missing. It was great hearing from Tandy and all she's up to. When you listen back, what stood out to you the most from this conversation, Chris? Well, I think it was interesting because I, I feel like there was a lot of there's a lot more detail in the conversation than I remembered. Like. I guess because mm. like we were at the justice conference, so we were just like recording back to back to back. And yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like things started to merge. But one of the things that stood out she was talking about was about how like how the systematic injustice can like and poverty can affect every area of someone's life. So she was talking yeah. a lot about how when she worked in a hospital, she would notice how a lot of people just couldn't access healthcare. Like it's mm. all it's all well and good saying you have healthcare provided. But if the person can't like get public transport there, if they can't afford the medicine, if they can't, yeah, if they can't be taken seriously by like doctors and practitioners, then it's all just kind of like it's like it's not a holistic like approach to healthcare. It's very much like you need to mm-hmm. you need to acknowledge how much this person's background is affecting like how much access they have to healthcare and I think it's something that's really like important at the moment when we when we think about the world when we think about coronavirus and obviously I think you know we've talked on the podcast about the money we're raising through doing the climb for people living yeah. in poverty at the moment and I think it's really important I guess that people and myself like, and, and us we understand that we're not just like raising money just for like no reason but people who are living in, in poverty people who are already at a disadvantage when it comes to like dealing on, with coronavirus on top of that it's like it's mad and, it, mm. and it's really like you know how can you be worried about like social distancing when like you don't have enough money to eat 
we, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's one of those yeah. things where I really liked what she said and I thought it was really relevant to where we're at right now. Yeah, definitely. And I really, um, it's quite eye-opening her talking about her experiences, especially like living in South Africa and the work that she's doing. And I really loved how, you know, she just, she was just really vulnerable about the fact that actually being a woman, it's really difficult um, to overcome the systematic injustice that still exists. Um, and I like that, you know, the way she navigates around it is actually being very careful about when we, when we what she says, when she says it, mm. to make sure that she's listened to. So, um, which I think is like a very difficult thing to do, mm. especially like in the time that we're in and we're like, you know, this can't still be happening. Yeah. But actually it's like, how can you use your voice at appropriate times where it will have the most effect mm. which I thought was really interesting and I guess it also what like I love what she was talking about you know you can't see your blind spots until you're with different people yeah. um, and I guess it goes back to like what Renee talks a lot about is how do we view our theology mm. um, you know the reality is that a lot of our theology is written by one type of person mm. um, that is like easily accessed to so actually how does that shape us differently to just like you know making the same kind of person with yeah. the same theology with the same perspective yeah. it's so important and so crucial to actually find different perspectives exactly. and not just from like one angle um so yeah I, I thought it was like really good um yeah. and i guess really just like eye-opening and um challenging and actually like just going back to like we need to be doing life together and mm. you know the reason there is such injustice in terms of like different opinions and all of that is because people just don't ask questions I think mm. I think we, like, we talk about it a lot like why is why this this still exists and it's like actually people just lack knowledge and understanding from the different point of view yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like really encouraging. I thought. I get sometimes it's not even like lacking knowledge. Sometimes it's like the wrong knowledge, <laughs> if that mm, makes sense. Yeah. And so like yeah. I, like Tand, like right at the beginning of the conversation, Tandy was talking about how you know sometimes our theology can perpetuate injustice, and that's like a big mm. that's a big statement to say. But you know, particularly someone like her who who lives in South Africa, where like apartheid was like was upheld from like a, a biblical standpoint at one point but then at the same mm. time the liberation from that was also like a came from a biblical source so it's, it's an interesting thing to kind of think like you were saying like how much are we reading into our theology and the way we see mm. justice and how much is it like actually informed by I don't know I guess like the, a global community a, a, an understanding of how the world views it and it reminds me of that conversation with Renee and talking about you know who like really when you talk about how you approach the bible you need to like remove your own lens from it your own personal lens yeah. and uh, try to read it with a with a, it's impossible like she said to like have everyone's perspective but to widen like you said widen your your perspective with as many people around you as possible yeah that's a really good point chris and that brings us to the end of this episode thank you everyone for listening and we'll be back again on the 8th of june with another episode if you like what you heard today then make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on instagram at we are Dear fund